Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A judge in Georgia today blocked ex-president Donald Trump's attempt to prevent an indictment against him there in the investigation into election interference. That's just days after Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis told a local news affiliate, we're ready to go. Meantime, in Florida last week, special counsel Jack Smith added two new damaging charges against Trump in the classified documents case. All this while the country waits to see if Smith will bring charges related to the January 6th insurrection and attempts to overturn the 2020 election. We look at the former president's worsening legal turmoil and what impact it could have on him politically. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Americans are on indictment watch again, reports USA Today's Josh Meyer, waiting to see whether federal prosecutors bring charges against Donald Trump for attempting to overturn the 2020 election. Meantime, barricades have gone up in front of a courthouse in Fulton County, Georgia, ramping up speculation of an imminent indictment announcement related to election interference there. The former president is already under two criminal indictments, one in federal court in Florida for mishandling classified documents and trying to cover it up, and one in New York state where Trump's been charged with falsifying business records to cover up hush money payments to porn star Stormy Daniels. And yet, a New York Times Siena poll out today finds Trump dominating his GOP rivals in the presidential election, with 54 percent of Republicans saying they'd vote for him compared to 17% for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. No other GOP candidate is polling above three. So there's a lot to unpack legally and politically, and that's what we're going to do this hour with Josh Meyer, domestic security correspondent for USA Today. Josh, glad to have you on. Always good to be here. Thanks for having me. Also with us, Roy Little, a professor of constitutional law at UC School of Law, San Francisco, also a former federal prosecutor and criminal defense attorney. Roy, glad to have you on, too. Thank you. Let me start with you, Rory. I want to start by asking you just how you reflect on this moment. I, I'm curious because it can be easy to become inured to it all, but we're on the verge of a third potential indictment of a former U.S. president, probably a fourth where are you? What do you think about this time? You know, it, it is one of these moments when you can take a bird's eye view and, and try to reflect in a global way, and then you can dive down way into the details on every one of these different cases. Um, it's it's a stunning moment, actually, historically. No former president has ever been criminally charged. Um, we've got two charges already in different places, a federal indictment in Florida, and then the state indictment in New York. And then we have two more pending, yeah. and those would be different because they would be pr- 
most likely, for actions taken while Trump was president, uh, not uh, a payment made before he was president, not a not a classified document saying after he left the presidency, but actions he took during the presidency. Uh, and the wide-ranging scope of charges there is is almost uh, un- unheard of before. It's, it's, it's really like an organized crime case against a very large boss of a large family. Um, but it's a crisis for the rule of law, I think, because uh, either our system is going to sort of get through this with a feeling of integrity uh, or, or we're going to emerge from this with some a great loss of public confidence mm. in what law can accomplish and, and what law means. Well, Josh, help us understand the two potential indictments that Rory is bringing up. You've reported that Americans are on indictment watch again because two weeks ago, Special Prosecutor Jack Smith served Trump with a letter saying that he's the target of a grand jury investigation related to the January 6th insurrection. Can you just remind us of the significance of the letter and what we know about it at this point? Sure. Thanks, Mina. Um, basically, uh, federal prosecutors send a uh, target letter to somebody who has been under investigation for quite some time, is usually the subject of a grand jury investigation in which it's hearing evidence in the case. And I cannot, in 30, 30 plus years uh, of covering this, think of a single case where they have not sent a target letter and ended up with an indictment. And, you know, I've talked to other legal experts and former prosecutors who have said the same thing. So it does appear clear that the special counsel, uh, Jack Smith, is going to be indicting the former president um, for several things. One of them is a very broad conspiracy charge. Uh, Another one dates back to a um, post-Civil War uh, era um, reconstruction charge uh, regarding the civil rights violation of people. Um, But basically, uh, the target letter lays out in very general terms what he's looking at. And and as Rory said, it's it's a significant escalation of the case against the former president. These are charges regarding his actions as president of the United States and trying to overturn the rule of law and overturn the 2020 election that he lost to Joe Biden. So those are very, very serious charges. I mean, they border on uh, treason, according to some legal experts, although he's not charged with that. And then, of course, in Fulton County, Georgia, we have District Attorney Fonnie Willis, who is preparing to charge Trump and potentially a very wide array of his uh, associates with with conspiracy charges as well for his actions in the um, aftermath of the, of the November 2020 election. So some very, very serious charges. He has been charged, as you noted, twice before, but these take it to a whole different level. Yeah. Could you talk about why it's so significant that these are why while he was president, Rory Little, why both you and Josh are bringing that up? Does it make it more complicated? Well, it certainly um, raises a question, and you can imagine that uh, Trump's lawyers will raise a question. Uh, can a president be charged uh, for taking actions while they are occupying the office, or is anything the president does uh, constitutionally protected in some way? Is there an immunity? Uh, now, we, we know that the court, Supreme Court has rejected immunity in the Nixon case back in 1974, uh, and, and there are uh, other cases where immunity has been breached. Um, but, but the January 6th process, people forget, it was a constitutionally required process for the Senate to be meeting and for the vice president to be certifying the electors from the various states 
that had already been cast uh, in favor of uh, Biden or Trump. And the, the attempt was to interfere with that constitutional process by which we pick our executive branch. Um, so interfering with that process is a very serious matter. And charging a president with, in a sense, masterminding that effort uh, is a very serious charge. Uh, and, and the country seems to be amazingly divided as to whether this is serious or just, uh, in some sense, political posturing by the Department of Justice. Yes. In terms of some of the potential charges, I know it's hard to know what they will be. Uh, you can't know until you see the indictment. But with the conspiracy to commit offense or defraud the U.S., and then the other related to deprivation of civil rights, um, deprivation of rights under a civil rights statute, and so on, that Josh was bringing up, what evidence do you think has been presented that you connect to those charges, Rory? Maybe from like what the House Select Committee presented to the public that, that you think make those charges potentially well, plausible? Well, it's, a, it's a very good question, Nina, because we don't know what of many different actions the special prosecutor will focus on to make these charges. I think that's what's held them up now is to how to carefully craft this and pick and choose from a wide range of efforts. So, so you know, there was uh, a speech which uh, allegedly encouraged many people to invade the Capitol and, and commit almost a coup on that constitutional process. Um, is the special prosecutor going to take that on? There, there are issues about uh, causation. There are issues about uh, free speech. Um, there, were, there was an effort clearly made to create false electors in seven, seven different states. Um, was, can we connect that back up to the White House? Can we connect that up not just to John Eastman, who was the lawyer working for Trump, but to Trump himself? Um, and we don't know all the witnesses that the special prosecutor has interviewed. We, we did watch those House hearings and came away with quite a serious impression of what had happened. Yeah. Uh, but the special prosecutor, I think, is going much further than the House committee went uh, because the House committee was focused on the sort of January 6th riot, if you want to call it that. Uh, the special prosecutor is looking for interference with our constitutional processes and interference with the right to vote in this country. Trump's legal team met with the special prosecutor, Jack Smith's team, on Thursday to try to convince them not to bring charges. Are, are sessions like that common, Rory, or likely to work? <laughs> Well, they are common, actually. Uh, when you send a target letter, you know, Josh is right. When I was a federal prosecutor, we used to say, you know, a target letter meant you had the indictment drawn uh, and you had penciled in the name of the target as the defendant, uh, but you hadn't, uh, you hadn't yet written it in ink. And so maybe they could talk you out of it, but you're pretty close. Uh, you always give an opportunity to the target to come in and meet. Uh, you actually always give it a the opportunity to the target to come talk to the grand jury. If, if I, I right. guarantee you that Trump has been given that opportunity to talk to the grand jury, he didn't take it. Um, so it's a common thing. It, it, I, I doubt that Trump's lawyers were trying to sort of persuade them that their evidence was no good. I think they were much more trying to persuade them that this would be a long and hard fight, that there's no guarantee of a jury convicting, uh, and that there's a presidential election happening uh, and that this appears to be almost to Trump's benefit in that election. Um, 
And and so it was more reminding the prosecutors of what a great burden they are taking on when they file this indictment. Josh, what can you tell us about Jack Smith? I know you've done some reporting on on him and who he is. Uh, well, thanks, Mina. Yeah, I did a profile on him, uh, several of them, actually, one when he was first tapped last November. Uh, and if you recall, uh, uh, Merrick Garland tapped him um, as the special counsel just days after Trump announced that he was running for president, saying that this was a potential conflict of interest for the Justice Department. So he wanted somebody to be independently looking at this. But Jack Smith is a very, very intense guy. The first thing I'll note is that he has lost two big cases, not himself personally, but when he was head of this, uh, the um, public integrity section at the Justice Department, um, they did lose a case against Bob McConnell, who was the governor uh, of Virginia, uh, McDonald, um, excuse me, and um, also against, um, you know, John Edwards, who had been running for president. But those cases were cases that were handled by the whole unit uh, that that Smith oversaw. He is known as a very, very dogged, uh, meticulous prosecutor. He made his bones, not just at the Justice Department, but as a war crimes prosecutor who uh, brought a case against the president of Kosovo, the sitting president of Kosovo, Hassan Thaci uh, of Kosovo, because of, um, you know, war crimes during the Kosovo War in the late 1990s. Uh, at the time, uh, Thaci was a very popular U.S.-backed head of state who Smith was investigating at The Hague. Uh, and it shows, according to people that worked with him, that he's not afraid to go after politically sensitive targets, uh, that he is very fastidious in, in, um, in making a case and that he will only bring a case when he knows it's ready, uh, when he knows he'll win it, and when he's certain that it'll survive all manner of appeals and legal trickery, which is something that will probably happen in this case, hmm. too. Yep. Well, we will talk more about what lies before us with Josh Meyer and Roy Little after the break. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Tomorrow, we'll look at the successes and challenges of the first year of the three-digit mental health crisis hotline 988. Today, we're looking at the former president's worsening legal turmoil and what impact it could have on him politically and on the country generally. And you, are, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation. What are your questions about the cases, the indictments against the former president do you think the charges against him are affecting his presidential campaign, hurting 
maybe helping, as it has been suggested. Curious also why you think Trump remains so popular among GOP voters despite the legal jeopardy. You can email your comments or questions to forum at kqed.org. Find us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, threads, or at KQED Forum. You can call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. I want to play a cut from House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, California's Kevin McCarthy, who summed up what I think a lot of the message, the message has been from Republicans about the indictments. This was his reaction to news of Jack Smith's target letter relating to the insurrection investigation. Let's hear it. Well, I guess uh, under a Biden administration, Biden America, you'd expect this. If you notice recently, President Trump went up in the polls and was uh, actually surpassing President Biden for re-election. So what do they do now? Weaponize government to go after their number one opponent. It's time and time again. I think the American public is tired of this. They want to have see equal justice. And the idea that they utilize this to go after those who politically disagree with them is wrong. Am I right, Josh Meyer, uh, that this is pretty much what we're hearing from top Republicans in terms of reaction? And also curious what you can tell us about Trump's reaction these days. Yeah, I mean, I don't uh, mean I don't think that that's uh, true at all. I mean, we all knew that Trump was going to declare, you know, that he was running for president. Um, But it's very clear that he he launched his campaign probably earlier, I believe, than any other presidential candidate in recent memory, because he was trying to stave off any investigations into him and just decry, you know, politics as usual um, as a result of those. So um, I think the Justice Department um, and the special counsel uh, rightfully are ignoring those. I think that they are trying to move quickly to to bring this uh, to fruition before it gets too close to the election. But remember, we're, we're more than a year off anyway. And I think that Trump uh's response to this um is getting a little short in the view of 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 some people but you know it is worth noting um as the speaker said you know that his poll numbers keep going up so it, you know it's striking a chord with some of his followers and i think we're headed towards almost a collision course here where there's going to be more criminal charges brought against him on several fronts um, and he's going to be spending a lot of his time in court and you, you know we just saw the reporting on how he spent more than 40 million dollars uh, on defense funds. So uh, at the same time, he's going to be ramping up his campaign. So we have to just expect that this is going to get more and more tense. Well, Robert writes, Trump is a cult leader. His goal is autocratic rule serving himself only. He is following a time-tested set of behaviors that strong men always use. It's not genius. It's formulaic. He counts upon us and the media to raise his visibility and give the impression of normalcy. We need to call out his criminality, greed, lying, theft, and general debauchery at every opportunity. We need to break the spell that such megalomaniacs cast. Rory, how how do you think about the enormity of what what's facing Trump and, and reconcile that with his popularity? Well, it'd be nice if we could figure out how to break the spell. It's, it's easy to say and seems to be almost impossible to do. Um, so, Mina, I have two thoughts. Uh, one is nobody really knew or even thought that Donald Trump would be the leading Republican candidate for the nomination uh, two and a half years ago after January 6th. After January 6th happened, even Republican leaders were saying, oh, Trump's going to have to pay for the consequences of this terrible event. So we're in a surprising moment compared to where we thought we'd be uh, right after that happened. And the special prosecutor, um, I think, uh, 
didn't know and and doesn't care whether he's the leading candidate or not. Yeah. Uh, he's going to take uh, this case wherever the law takes him. I think the other sort of disturbing thing to say, and, and people aren't yet quite saying it, but I think it's going to happen. I don't think you're going to see a trial on any of these cases before hmm. the election. Hmm. It'd be really interesting to see if we did get to trial. But first, Donald Trump has a history of delaying litigation way beyond uh, the point where people thought he could. Uh, and second, uh, there are complicated issues in these cases. There will be more complicated issues than the ones that are yet to be filed. Uh, and, and it's entirely possible you won't see a trial uh, until after November. So the question for the American people is going to be, are we going to vote for someone who is under indictment? Um, but but and let's just be realistic. Even if he were convicted, he would immediately appeal. So there wouldn't be a final conviction until later. Um, so I think the timing of this is going to be throw us into even more confusion because we won't have that certainty that we wish we had. Yeah. Well, um, there is an NPR poll that suggested there may be a little chipping away, if not completely breaking the spell. There was an NPR PBS Hour Maris poll that showed that, you know, Republicans are Republican leading independents saying that they believe Trump has done nothing wrong, dropped nine points in the last month from 50 to 41 percent. Um, though, of course, we also have the New York Times Siena poll results today that still a solid majority of people, 54% would vote for him among Republicans, would vote for him for president as opposed to DeSantis at 17 and, and barely anyone else cracking, you know, three or more. And um, one thing I will note is that the polls were taken before the most recent additional charges in the Mar-a-Lago documents case. And I've been hearing a lot of commentary about how those additional charges are really quite clear, easy to understand, and very damning. So so first, let's review those, Rory, just in terms of the facts of the case and the law and the recent changes to the indictment. The well, yeah, indictment. But, yeah, the new charges <clears throat> seem to be quite simple. Uh, which is that um, the person in charge of IT uh, and the property manager uh, talked and uh, they asked, one of them asked the other, well, uh, you know, the boss wants the server to be deleted, the server with video surveillance of the boxes moving around. Um, and the other person says, gee, I I'm not sure I can do that. Um, and, and so there is there a conspiracy. If you believe that the boss is Trump and that Trump had expressed that idea, uh, it depends on witness testimony. Uh, I don't think they have a tape of that particular conversation. Uh, then they, they, there's the allegation that these two individuals, not Donald Trump, lied to the grand jury or lied to the FBI when they were interviewed. That's a crime by itself. Um, and then you have, so there are three new charges for, you know, attempting to destroy evidence and obstruct justice in a, in a criminal case. I mean, it's quite serious. Um, the other charges have to do with these classified documents. And were there efforts made to hide the documents, to uh, take documents that shouldn't have been taken, to conceal them from the FBI when the FBI came to do a search, uh, to lie to the uh, government investigators about whether there had been a diligent search or not? Uh, these are serious charges. They all depend on some witness testimony, but there's a lot of video surveillance evidence and tape recorded evidence. They're solid 
criminal charges. I, I would have a hard time as a prosecutor not filing that case with that kind of evidence. Uh, so they're quite serious. And, and, and the, you know, the penalties, there's lots of prison time that you could add up on this, but uh, that's not really the point. Uh, whether Trump would even go to jail is a question uh, long in the future. Yeah. But but Josh Meyer, are you hearing the same thing? My sense is the general consensus is this document's case is very strong on the law and the facts. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, Mina, he, you know, he, what he um, is accused of doing is waving around, uh, and this is just one of the charges, of course, waving around a very, very classified document that's so classified it was marked no foreign uh, which is uh, N-O-F-O-R-N, which is short for not even sharing it with our closest foreign allies. Mm. And this was uh, war plans against uh, the country of Iran, one of our biggest adversaries. Yeah. So that's very serious. Um, you know, the, the hoarding of the documents, refusing to give them up, of course, is very serious, too. But, you know, I think that this harkens back to Watergate, where there's a perception that it's not even the underlying criminal um uh, statutes that are violated, that's the problem. It's the cover-up. And so I think the cover-up is starting to come into view here. And I'm absolutely sure that uh, Special Counsel Smith and his team have a lot more that they haven't uh, disclosed yet. They're keeping that for competitive advantage. But they have him dead to rights on, on any number of issues regarding the classified documents case. Um, the thing that's emerged over the last couple of days about how the property manager and the IT guy were sneaking and Walt Nauta, who was um, Trump's body man or, or valet, were sneaking through the bushes at Mar-a-Lago back and forth to have, have conversations so they wouldn't be logged in as being on, on premises. I mean, you're starting to really see a, a, like almost like a mob-like conspiracy here. So whether that will resonate with the American people or not uh, remains to be seen, whether it resonates also with Trump's many, uh, you know, uh, competitors in the race for pre president in 2024 uh, remains to be seen, too. There was a dinner over the weekend in Iowa where everybody remained pretty silent about that. So that does show Trump's power, I guess. But I do think that there are people, certainly Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, some others who are starting to come out against Trump, DeSantis, and call him out on this. So I think if gets some critical mass, uh, he could be in political trouble which, you know, is what killed Nixon, too. It was when the when when the Republican Party uh, decided to sort of turn against him, I think that uh, his, his days in office were over. So I think that, you know, we have to watch that pretty carefully. Um, and I do think that there's a lot more coming out with the January 6th case. And I think ultimately that's going to be, you know, the most politically damaging for Trump, both from the Georgia case and the one in Washington uh, these are really, really serious charges, and there's at least six different ways in which they're alleging that he tried to torpedo the election <clears throat> results. Well, Noel tweets, he needs to be elected president to stay out of jail. Our only hope is to get enough voters to vote for someone else and repudiate Trump. We have to get voter turnout to record levels despite Republican voter suppression laws. We're, act we're asking you, our listeners, what you think about the indictments against former President Trump and also the indictments to come potentially, whether or not they will derail his presidential campaign. Trump has said they absolutely will not. There have been some takes that the indictments are actually helping him. Asking you listeners why you think he remains so popular among GOP voters, despite the legal jeopardy. Also curious if you're not really following the indictments and why. Um, there is this sense that we're concerned that uh, this is just becoming so common and frequent that it might actually be losing some of its unprecedented 
nature, some of the sense of this being as historic as Roy Little pointed out it is. We're talking with Roy Little, professor of constitutional law at UC School of Law, San Francisco, Josh Meyer, domestic security correspondent for USA Today. And you listeners can join by emailing forum at kqed.org, finding us on our social channels at KQED Forum, or by calling us at 866-733-6786. Holly in San Jose, join us. Hi, Holly, you're on. Hi, um, I, I'd like to make two um, quick points. One is that um, that everybody that I'm talking to, and I feel this way too, we just feel an kind of more cynical right now about the rule of law in our country than we've ever felt before. That we're 100% sure that there's just all this evidence, there's these strong cases against Trump, and we're also 100% sure that he's not going to face anything that's like a real consequence for them, that he's going to basically get away with it. And the other thing that um, if by any miracle he actually did get, you know, basically jail time or, you know, which is what I feel like any other person would have gotten by now as a minimum. um, I heard a sentiment that I was shocked by uh, a while ago on NPR, which was that a commentator said, Um, that they thought that maybe even if he were found guilty, that for like sort of the peace of the nation, for peace or in the nation or whatever, that he should be pardoned. And to me, that was like a real surprise to hear because I think that at least the people that I talked to, um, that would have the opposite of a calming effect. If by some miracle he was actually got some consequences and then somehow he was pardoned, that would just be horrible. <laughs> so I just want to make those two points. Well, Holly, thank you for those two points. Um, a couple of other questions sort of related. Alan writes, I suspect his best defense will be to try and drag all these charges out until after the election and hope he can pardon himself. What is your expert's opinion on a president's ability to carry on duties while in jail? Stephen writes, could Trump actually serve as president from inside prison? How would that work? Rory, let me go to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we haven't seen it yet. Um, so I guess one thing I would like to sort of pivot a little bit on that. Uh, it's not clear uh, that Trump, uh, uh, let's assume a Republican candidate actually Uh, manages to turn this around and become the nominee. Uh, If Ron DeSantis were elected president or one of the other nominees, I think they would pardon Trump just as likely as Trump pardoning himself. I think they would sort of pull a Gerald Ford, who, remember, pardoned Richard Nixon, faced a firestorm of criticism, although in history, some people think that maybe that was the right decision. Nixon sort of faded away after that. you know, can he pardon himself? Uh, no one knows. He, he would certainly try. He's got uh, a, a number of justices on the Supreme Court. You know, that Holly's cynicism about the rule of law isn't just about Trump. It's about the Supreme Court, which has three Trump justices on it, which seems to be overruling precedent and on an ideological path that uh, it, it seems to ignore law as opposed to where they want to go. Um so that cynicism is, is, is more general in some sense than just Donald Trump. Um, you know, if he, I, I don't think he would go to jail. If he were president, he, I don't think he would be uh, convicted of it, something. I don't think he'd be sent to jail. Could Georgia or New York State order that the president be arrested and put in jail? I, I have a hard time imagining that happening uh, 
in, in a federalist system where the where the national government sort of has supremacy. Um, so these are all interesting questions. I think we're way far away from anything. I think Josh is right. You know, we're a year away from the election. Uh, we don't know wh where this is going to go. The Republican Party seems to be finally waking up to the idea that they've got to differentiate themselves from Donald Trump. So it's a it's a it's a big ball of wax. And, and I don't have any answers on the constitutional issues that that you've just raised. Well, people couldn't pardon him for the state cases, so we'll get into those after the break. Uh, but let me just read this comment from a listener. This listener tweets, it's interesting how you seem bewildered that Trump remains so popular with his base. Trump supporters see the obvious anti-Trump stance of most U.S. media, and the more he's criticized by media and Dems, the more popular Trump becomes. It's his secret power. I don't know if we're so much bewildered, but just curious or maybe searching for an answer that's less depressing <laughs> than some of the ones that have already been put forward. But I, I am curious if you are somebody who has supported Trump or plan on voting for him or were planning on voting for him, do these indictments make a difference to you as well as just your questions about the cases, the charges against him and the effect that they have on his presidential campaign, email forum, thekqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, threads. We're at KQED Forum. You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. Roberto writes, I think we're in a new era where political parties can craft a reality that fits their own political agenda. Facts be damned. The majority of Republicans are consuming a steady stream of Fox News where it's all pro-GOP, anti-Democratic party all the time. They are convinced that charges against Trump are trumped up. And I don't think we will ever go back to a time of objective facts or news. We have a really strong chance of Trump winning this election and never being held to account. Democracy is much more fragile than we ever thought, and at this point, may even be broken beyond repair. Wow. Well, we're hearing from you listeners how you're feeling, thinking, and what you're wondering related to the legal jeopardy of a former president who so far seems to be extremely popular in this country, and especially among his party. Um, we'll have more after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the legal cases that are piling up against former President Donald Trump as the nation is again on 
Indictment Watch, waiting for possible federal and state charges to drop for his alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 election. All this as Trump's popularity among GOP voters remains sky high. We're with Josh Meyer, domestic security correspondent for USA Today, and Roy Little, professor of constitutional law at UC School of Law, San Francisco. He's also a former federal prosecutor and criminal defense attorney. And we're with you, our listeners, sharing your thoughts and questions. Sonora writes, Fox News, Newsmax, OAN, his supporters watch and read sources that do not discuss Trump's illegal behavior. Well, Josh, let's talk about Georgia. We may see another indictment from Georgia. So what do we understand about the case that Fulton County Prosecutor Fonnie Willis is building, the charges she may bring, the evidence she's considering? Um, well, that's, I mean, that's a good That's uh, a good question. I think she's um, she's been building a case now for more than a year, maybe more than two years. Yeah, and, um, years. you know, I think we have. Sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, like two and a half years, oh, okay. I heard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, you know, so she's been, you know, very, very um, diligent about this. And, um, you know, she's been working with a grand jury there. They've been investigating a broad array of things. And I think that, you know, she's going to be bringing an indictment against a, a pretty large group of people. I mean, you have the phone call to Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Uh, you have uh, you even have Lindsey Graham, the su- senator from South Carolina's uh, meddling in the case. You, of course, have former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows' role in the case. I mean, there's a lot of people that could conceivably be indicted in this. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they will be or that they're guilty of anything, but um, you know, it is a wide-ranging conspiracy to try to flip that state and it's also clear uh from her investigation from the subpoenas, the people that she's brought before the grand jury that she's looking beyond <clears throat> just uh Georgia now and that she's looking at other states to see if they were trying to create a false slate of electors uh to flip those states and basically overturn the will of the people. Uh, um, after they voted in the election. So, you know, it remains to be seen exactly what she's going to do. But she has certainly telegraphed that she's planning to do uh, a pretty wide ranging conspiracy. One of one of the things that we're looking at, <clears throat> um, and I've covered this a lot as a as a federal law enforcement reporter, is what's known as a hub and spoke conspiracy. And that is um, you. It's not like a traditional mob type conspiracy uh, case where there's a mob leader at the top and then things cascade outward um you know as part of a uh, pyramid and everybody's involved in the same thing in a hub and spoke conspiracy you have one person at the middle like the spoke on a uh, like the hub on a bicycle wheel and you have different spokes emanating outward from that that don't necessarily have to have anything to do with each other and i think that the prosecutors in georgia and the federal prosecution they're looking at that with with trump in the middle and various different uh conspiracies emanating outward from that so we'll have to wait and see what happens. But I think we have a good sense of what it's going to be. Yeah, well, we got some news from Georgia, Rory, the Superior Court judge today rejected um, the Trump's legal team's efforts to prevent an indictment in Fulton County by trying to block the grand jury final report and, and the judge saying no, that silencing the report is not what either statutory or case law generally allows. We know that Trump has also filed a motion to disqualify DA Fonnie Willis from the case, which will be heard on August 10th. What do you think about that attempt and and how it relates to what this uh, Georgia judge did today, allowing the indictment to move forward if needed? Well, I I guess what I want to say is that Georgia, like 
every state cares mostly about Georgia. Uh, they, they, they are not interested so much in the national picture as they are interested in protecting Georgia as a sovereign state and having its own sovereign electoral process. Uh, and, and, and that includes the state criminal justice uh, system. Uh, I don't think a motion to recuse the prosecutor will, will have any legs. Um, possibly she is waiting for that motion to be heard um, to file the charges, uh, which I think is a shame. I, I don't think that should influence her, but it may be. Hmm. Um, I, think they, I think they're concerned about two things, right? That one is the false electors. You know, Michigan already indicted, I think, 17 people for being false electors and signing these false certificates. Um, and, and there were seven states total where these false elector efforts were made. Uh, if you could tie them all back to Trump, uh, you do have uh, Josh described as a spoken, uh, a spoken wheel uh, or spoken hub, hub yeah. conspiracy. Um, the other way we described that is a RICO prosecution, a racketeer influence, a corrupt organization or just an organized crime where the boss is running a unit here and a unit there and a unit there, and they're all doing different crimes. Um, I, but I think Georgia cares about protecting its own processes and the interference with the secretary of state, who was a Republican, uh, trying to get him to, quote, find new votes yeah. uh, is, is, is outrageous on a state level. Uh, so you're going to see, I think, other people indicted in Georgia besides uh, the president. The question is, can you connect this back to Donald Trump. And that will depend on what witnesses have said in the Georgia grand jury. What have they said about their contacts to the White House or to Trump's legal team? Well, Renee writes, I'm concerned that the Democrats are not being more vocal about the indictments. For example, President Biden is not commenting on the indictments because he would be accused of being political. Uh, Josh, do you have any reaction to Renee who wants Democrats to be more vocal and even President Biden? Well, I, I think that, you know, they're sort of in a damned if they do, damned if they don't um, position. Uh, I think they're right to stay out of this. I mean, I, I try to stay out of the politics stuff and just write about the investigations. But, you know, clearly, <clears throat> if, if Biden and, and others weighed in on this, uh, they would be castigated by Republicans for doing so. Um, so I do think that they are smart to, uh, to stay out of that, uh, whether that remains the case or not, um, is to be seen. I think, you know, it, with so one, this is a point I was going to make earlier. You know, we keep saying with Trump uh, over the years that we're in uncharted territory or, you know, coming up with these new ways of describing it. But I think right now we're, we're clearly through the looking glass, as they say in Alice in Wonderland. I mean, things are so unprecedented now that we really just don't know what's going to happen. Um, I mean, in the Georgia case, one thing that's worth noting is that uh, the state law there, the conspiracy statute in Georgia, is interpreted very broadly, and the district attorney's office would only need to show that two or more people tacitly came to a mutual understanding to further a crime. Uh, and that, you know, especially when you have Trump's phone call to Brad Raffensperger saying, I need you to find 11,000 more votes, which just happened to be the number of votes he lost the state by, you know, it puts him in a very, uh, you know, serious position of being of facing some serious crimes that a jury is going to vote to convict on. Well, let me go to caller Didi in American Canyon next. Hi, Didi, you're on. Join us. Oh, hi. Uh, thank you for uh, taking my call. I'm an immigrant, and all my family, um, we voted for Trump twice, 
And um, I, we all see as immigrants that this administration just pulled a Maduro on former president. Easy. Um, he, as your clients, I mean, your guests are very biased. They, uh, he didn't actually ask for an insurrection. He exhorted his supporters to march to the Capitol peacefully to make their voices heard. And yes, any American is actually has the right to challenge election results. And yes, to do that, you have to get electors on your side. So I don't understand anything you guys are saying. Even me, is moaning and, oh, oh my God, I well, this guy is going to be a strong enough case. This case is take years. Well, the, the charges and the indictment have not come down quite yet with regard to uh, the January 6th insurrection. They're just a possibility at this point. But, you know, it doesn't sound like Didi's mind has changed at all by, you know, what we are hearing in the news with regard to um, what are the potential charges against against President Trump related to the insurrection. Josh, is this what you also are hearing among supporters of the president. Yes, I get a lot of um, <clears throat> very interesting uh, mail after whenever I write a story about this. Um, but, you know, I think one of the things she said is just factually incorrect. I mean, Trump did not exhort his 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 followers to march peacefully on the Capitol. He, you know, as we all remember, he said, if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. So he clearly in in specific things that he said in in urging people to come to Washington, it's going to be wild. Um, I don't think you can say that he was trying to uh, orchestrate a peaceful march uh, to politely protest uh, on January 6th. But remember, <clears throat> the federal case against him um you know, especially as outlined in the January 6th committee hearings, which I thought were extraordinary. Um, and I covered the the 9-11 commission hearings, too. I thought they were extraordinarily effective in laying out a case against the president and, you know, potentially dozens of co-conspirators on different things, that there were six or seven different elements of this case in which Trump was criminally uh, trying to stay um, in office uh, after he'd been voted out. So, you know, I do think that there's a lot of people uh, like this caller who are, are watching our particular uh, news shows with a particular political bent uh, that just aren't going to be convinced otherwise. But I think as more and more information comes out, I think it's, um, you know, it behooves people uh, to really look at the evidence and make a decision and not just, you know, stick to their guns and defend Trump because they think that this is politically motivated. I do not think that Jack Smith is politically motivated in any way. And I think his background shows that. And I think that's probably the case with everybody else in the Justice Department, uh, the DA in Georgia. And I think the DA in, in Manhattan, you could argue that those cases are, you know, more of a political bent to them. But I don't think you can say that with the Justice Department investigation at this point. Well, one of the things I have heard is that the New York case, the one about falsifying business records to cover up hush money payments made to Stormy Daniels, is potentially the hardest case to win or the weakest legally. What do you think about that, Rory Little? Well, I have to say, I, f I feel oppositely on that. Mm. Uh, I think the New York case is actually a very strong case. There isn't any doubt that there were false documents filed describing these payoffs as not payoffs, as being legal fees or legal expenses. Uh, the only question is, does Donald Trump know about it or not? Um, you know, Didi's uh, reaction there is not one that's uncommon. 
Um, and I think it's the problem with our legal system being so slow. Uh, when you mm. have a trial with 12 jurors uh, chosen uh, through a process which generally chooses people who don't have a terrible bias in every direction, when you put those people in a courtroom and you let lawyers actually put on evidence through the rules of evidence with a judge supervising the process, often the picture is a little different than whatever the media sp spinners have been spinning in all directions. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm much more skeptical that Donald Trump could be held responsible for speaking on the mall uh, and then having J the J6 riot. I think the causal connection there is, is, is actually pretty weak. But I think the New York case is actually pretty strong. But you're going to have to look at a jury and you're going to have to say, look, do you believe or not that Donald Trump knew what was going on? If you don't think he knew it, acquit him. If you think he knew it, you have to convict him. Uh, and then let a jury make that decision. So this strategy of d delay is to avoid the specific presentation of evidence to people who are asked to evaluate it, 12 of them, in a room by themselves. Yeah. Let me remind listeners that you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Roy Little, professor of constitutional law at UC School of Law, San Francisco, and Josh Meyer, domestic security correspondent for USA today. Let me go to MacArthur in Monroe, Louisiana. Hi, MacArthur. Join us. Yes. I'd like to know what does it say about America for, for all the people that votes for Trump? All the people that vote for Trump? Yes. And, what does it say about knowing what he's done and, oh, and he's guilty of so I see. What does yeah. that say about America? So knowing what he's done, what does it say about America for all the people who voted for Trump is, is MacArthur's question. I don't know, Josh or Rory, if you want to opine a little bit. Well, well, MacArthur, I mean, one of the problems with our system is it's always a either either one or the other choice. It's either Trump or Biden. Um, it, it isn't as though you get to pick your favorite. Uh, you ask me, I'll vote for Cory Booker. Cory Booker's not running, or if he's running, he's not going to get the nomination. You got to pick one or the other. And I think you have a lot of people who just don't like the Democratic Party politics uh, and they don't like Biden. You know, he's an old guy and, 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 and he's not a aggressive speaker. Um, and so they say, well, I'll vote for the other person. I'll, I'll, I'll hold my nose and vote. Uh, that's the problem with the system when it's a binary choice. Um, and, and, and getting people to think about the bigger picture is really the challenge. Uh, hopefully there are Republicans who listen to a show like this and actually want to engage with the evidence. And if they want to engage with the evidence, they can come to their own view as to what the right position is for them. Well, Paul writes, as the professor remarked, Trump's actions read like a crime family scenario. Does he have any liability under the RICO statutes, Professor Little? Well, <laughs> let me just say, RICO is such a complicated statute that I would say don't ever charge it because it's so complicated. Just charge all the crimes together. And, and then if you want the jury to think about it as a group thing, let them. But the, the RICO statute is very complicated. Um, but I think it would not be hard at all to describe a group of people being Donald Trump and, uh, you know, his lawyers, John Eastman, uh, the woman who was from uh, the, the South. You know, there were a few other people as a group of people who set out on a course to try to upset the election results through the false electors, 
through calls to secretaries of state, through other means, uh, you could easily describe that as a RICO. It, it, I wouldn't advise doing it only because it, it doesn't sound right. It's not a racketeer influence corrupt organization, uh, but it fits the legal definition uh, actually pretty easily, in my opinion. Well, Scott writes, if this goes through with Trump, then isn't it expected that Republicans will push even harder for a Biden impeachment? Well, Josh, I, I think this just gets at this question of what is the Biden impeachment effort about? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, Mina, that's a very good question. And we're already seeing that gearing up here. Um, you know, it's unfortunate, I think, that um, and, and again, I try to stay away from the politics of this and just focus on the cases. But you are seeing the Republicans gearing up to try to impeach Biden um, uh, and, you know, for actions that Hunter Biden did or did not do. Um, so, I mean, it's it is unfortunate that the Republicans are trying to to do that instead of really looking at the case here. I don't I don't see any impeachment um, predicates at all for for Biden based on what they're talking about. So um, I kind of just dismissed that out of hand, even though I think it's probably going to happen or at least an attempt to. But I mean, I think the one thing that I would try to leave people with is, you know, Trump keeps trying to portray this as us being a third world country for going after the former president of the United States. But, you know, the, the number of countries around the world that have indicted their presidents, prosecuted them and even convicted them um, is probably almost a majority of countries. It's at, le it's at least 78 countries, including democracies like France, Israel, South Korea. You've got Netanyahu right now, his ongoing, you know, legal problems. You've got Brazil. I mean, the uh, the president of South Korea, I think there were several presidents in a row that were convicted. So, um, you know, I think the idea that we go after a former president on political charges, corruption charges, criminal violations is a sign of a healthy democracy, not some politically motivated stunt. So I think that that somehow gets lost sometimes in the big picture here. Yeah, well, well Josh, yeah, thank you. Sorry, Rory. Never, yeah, 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. Well, we never we've never done it before. We are not like other countries who do this as a routine matter. This is an extraordinary nucleus of facts that Donald Trump has brought to us. Rory Little, thanks so much for talking with us. Thank you very much. Always glad to have you on. My and pleasure. Josh Meyer, really appreciate you as well. My pleasure, Mina. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for sharing your questions and comments and thoughts. And thank you, Susie Britton, for producing today's segment. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. 
Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.